0: hey everyone welcome to another wildlife for you podcast i am daryl ratajak and i am here with my longtime friend and partner in crime stephanie payne
1: yeah thanks for the intro d you know that that was actually kind of a pretty witty opening you had there introducing me as your partner in crime Mm. considering we're in the midst of our outlaw series um and for tonight's topic, so you know, we're sort of hybridizing.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's technically illegal. Um, actually, I don't even know if that's technically a word. Do you
1: have an imagination? Uh, I'm sure what this has to do with it, but I think I do. Then just imagine it's a real
0: word. <laughs> Fine. Um, okay, we're hybridizing which is a real word, obviously. I'm just playing. So we're hybridizing what with what?
1: Well, so continuing on with the wildlife outlaw series, I I thought we'd talk about profiteering, but we're hybridizing that definition to include like those money-making practices that kind of ride that legality line. So, you know, it's like profiteering on unethical and illegal animal practices.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm getting that. I was, I was a bit worried you're you're going to say that hybridizing was illegal, and oh my gosh, that reminds me of a a story that I know you know, but I want to tell everyone because, um,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know the story that you're talking about, and yeah, this 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 could be fun, yeah, not like real fun, but you know, hybridizing fun. So anyway, yeah, tell away, they'd love this.
0: Well, most people typically know what hybridizing is. But way back when, when I worked at the Appalachian Bear Center in the late 90s, um, I was visited by one of my cousins and her new boyfriend. And they were staying with us. And uh, it's one of those, those uh, times where your family or friends tend to get on your nerves after a while. And so I thought I had a little respite when... Uh, Marcella Cranford, who was this uh, wildlife uh, veterinarian type of person over in East Tennessee, she called me up because she owned these full-blooded timber wolves, or gray wolf is the the actual term. And so she used those for educational purposes. She had the permits for them. And she was well-known in the area for having these gray wolves. And she called me up and she goes, Daryl, I have a favor of you. Um, our wolves just had some new, new pups and we're trying to acclimate them to being around people so she can take them uh, to to schools or whatever other program she was doing. And she's like, I got a problem over here. Most of my volunteers or all of her volunteers were females. And she goes, would you be able to come on over and play with these wolf pups? And so At that point in time, I was just looking to get out of the house and my, my cousin's boyfriend, his name was Bill. He's like, Oh, can I go? And obviously since this was another male figure, I figured two, two males over there playing with the, with the wolf pups would be better than one. And the embarrassing thing came when Marcella was talking to us about the wolves and just how unique they are. And they're a purebred species and um, she went on to tell us that hybrids or the hybridation of wolves is just complete terror. You never want to do it. Cause you're, you're mixing, um, you're mixing some genes there. And so she was explaining this process of hybridization and my, my friend Bill there said, man, all that sounds great. But what I want to do when I, when I get a chance is I want to take a dog and i wanted to breed with a wolf. <laughs> <And so laughs> i realized that not everyone understands what hybridization is. so um sometimes you got to know the company you're in and their skill level and exactly kind of kind of where they're at as far as understanding uh the wildlife side of things.
1: oh yeah, yeah, point went right past him. totally oh, yeah. missed the totally missed the mark. so you you definitely I, I love it when you go into storytelling mode because you definitely have some jacked up life experiences.
0: Yeah, and I I like to be original because I I know I've got experiences that a few other people have had. For example, playing with full blooded wolves to h- help acclimate them to being around people.
1: Yeah, yeah, you are quite the snowflake. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, Smarty Pants, bring us back back around. Uh, explain what this. Uh, profiteering on wildlife is to our listeners
1: Uh, our one listener did you say one that's just the one (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's the optimism i love about you right there um okay profiteering uh profiteering is the practice of making or trying to make kind of an excessive or unfair profit and it's usually on the illegal or the black market. So with, with animals, it's making an excessive or unfair profit from wildlife. So, you know, usually you see this kind of thing through selling animals or animal parts illegally. But, but I think because we're hybridizing, we're also going to talk about profit making through those, those unethical activities that, you know, they revolve around exploiting those exotic or, or charismatic animals too
0: yeah that is a great description you nailed it and and the cool thing is on our last episode we talked about poaching and part of that conversation goes goes right along with what we're talking about today
1: oh yeah yeah you know the the illegal wildlife trade is a multi-billion dollar business and that's billion with a b um and the products you know in that 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 business they range from souvenirs to food to traditional cultural medicines, and then even as pets. So as long as there's a demand demand for products, there's, there's going to be people that are exploiting wildlife in Florida, sling a buck and make a profit.
0: All right. And kind of like you mentioned on the, the last episode as, as supplies in those animals or animal parts, as that dwindles, the market price goes up. And so I remember you mentioned, uh, it's as lucrative as the, literally as the drug trade. And the problem with the whole wildlife side of things, you have much less police and enforcement and probably way lighter penalties than that, than so many other aspects of, for example, the drug trade.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we, you know, the U S we have lots of things in place, you know, like the fish and wildlife service, they, they have the the most robust program in the world and, and they work with other countries to help support efforts to, like, decrease the illegal wildlife ex- exploitation. But the hardest part, though, is is stopping activities before animals are harvested. And, you know, the problem is regulation and enforcement or policing. They, they've always been insufficient to effectively control the illegal wildlife trade. And, and I mean on both the national and international fronts. Um, effective control, it... It means expanding all of our current approaches. But, you know, a huge component of that actually does fall on our listeners. That's plural, um, to educate and influence everyone in their sphere of influence and be really vocal about, you know, increasing efforts, the value of wildlife in their natural environments, um, and definitely never, ever supporting any of those unethical practices, you know. And then we really do need more on the ground proactive you know, efforts too, with coordinated international regulations, more enforcement on the front lines. But the, the key, honestly, the key is undermining the industry before the wildlife or flora end up dead or taken out of the wild.
0: Yeah. And I I couldn't agree more with that. And hopefully we'll be able to find a way for our listeners to, to kind of know what, what things they can do. And since we're talking about exploiting animals for personal gain, Let's let's try to branch out a bit. I'm going to take a chance and hit one of those angry buttons because I I think you have a (laughs) couple of those. So let's let's talk about those gigs that that offer, say, like a a picture with a lion or a tiger cub for a fee.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hate I hate, I hate that practice. Those, you know, and, and I'm going to include in that, like those, those cutesy viral videos with the exotic species, just all cutely interacting with people. But, and it's, it's so tough, you know, people, people love watching wildlife do cute things. And it's so easy to assume because of, like that cute factor that, that these are healthy, happy animals and the people that are pimping out. And I mean that literally the people that are pimping out animals, you know they're preying on animal lovers' consciences because those those pimps are pretty much swearing up and down that whatever they're doing promotes conservation and awareness. But you know the the sad fact is profits do not go to conservation; they go to line the pockets of that person. And way too often they're promoting exotics as pets. You know because they make them look cute and cuddly and look everybody should have one. But uh, those picture pushers, yeah, and those those roadside attractions that like promote. People engaging with with animals, I just um, hmm. the the cubs cubs are literally ripped away from their mom way early so that they can be small and adorable and tired all the time as they're they're just constantly passed between people for a paid photo op. Like I said, they're being pimped out, and as soon as that that quickly growing baby animal gets any kind of size and becomes a risk, which is just a matter of months. What do people think happened to that animal? You know, do they think those tiger skins don't end up as part of the wildlife trade? And sure, you know, no, not 100% of those animals are killed and parted out. But, you know, do people think that these guys are going to retire and live like kings in a jungle? No, no. They get locked in steel and concrete prisons to live out this desperate little existence in close confinement. But, you know, I really... I touted on the Fish and Wildlife Service a minute again, and I really wish that the f w s would track and regulate the breeding and practices of these kind of places you know they they totally make me crazy but but you know what you know what since since you pushed one of my crazy buttons, I am going to push back, so talk to me, dear Daryl, about. Bad rehabbers.
0: (laughs) You you pushed that button when you you started in your whole spiel with the these lion and tiger cubs, and you mentioned the exotic trade, and and I know that's that's kind of more up your alley. You you love the the lions and tigers and bears and all those all all those. Well, I shouldn't have said bears, but you said bears, yeah. (laughs) I know. everyone saw the wizard of oz so it's it's easy to say <laughs> so anyway um I, I know your specialty is is typically the the large cats panthera as well as puma um but in my world what i've dealt with state federal agencies and just working for nonprofits here in north america uh the it's it's not just Uh, dealing with these exotic animals there's a lot of rehabbers out there that i would say really dabble in the borderline of exploitation and so one of the things that that drives me nuts is this uh these rehabbers that might actually operate like say a sanctuary and it was only recently I, i was on this this main facebook page uh that 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 loves bears and I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name people or businesses. But, but there's this Facebook page that is filled literally tens of thousands of bear lovers. And then they're talking about, oh, this wonderful organization that, that saves baby bears. And I had never heard of it before. And so I visited the organization. And they take in these cubs that nobody wants. And the the thing that was so irritating was I'm clicking through, and you could visit, and for ten dollars you could have your picture taken with a baby bear cub, and it goes uh. to support that facility, which I understand you need money to operate things, but the, the there's a way to raise money without exploiting animals, and, and the fact that they're t- they're taking these young cubs, and posing with them. And the thing that really irritated me, because you you know my background more than anyone, Steph, is I I worked in bear rehab. And they say on their website that, unfortunately, we cannot release these cubs back to the wild because when they're orphaned as babies, uh, they cannot be released. And I did that. That's crap. It's total bull crap. So they're feeding the public this misinformation, trying to justify what they're doing. All the while, they're making tons of money off these animals, these poor bears. And I bite my lip because I want to call them out and <laughs> I want to say things. But I just, I need to depend on the public, the people to use common sense and to listen to professionals that have dealt with these animals and and really make good choices of who they're supporting because I will be the first to admit, a baby bear, a baby lion cub, baby, they're cute as I'll get out. And it would be awesome to be, but think, think of that animal, their needs over your needs. And, and if people would use common sense that way to say, hey, is this good for that animal? I, I think people would be making, making much different decisions.
1: Okay. So to keep, to keep on your crazy button for just a sec. I, sorry, I'm not the end. No, do but This it. is your job, But so explain because you you have worked for a rehab center and it, it, was, it was a good rehab center with the intention because the word rehab, rehabilitate, we already know that that means get it back to healthy and normal. So in the case of bears, including baby bear cubs, which I know you have just had, you know, you're chock full of cutesy wootsy stories. Um, and and not all cutesy, to be honest with you. I know, I know all of the stories. So you can completely, as long as that bear hasn't been habituated to the presence of people, you can rehab that bear and he can be, he or she can grow up and be a successful wild bear, right?
0: Absolutely. And we have, I, I've i authored a paper when, when I was working in bear rehab back in the late nineties, I offered a pa- paper that or co-authored a paper that demonstrated the successful release, the the successful rehabilitation and release of orphan bear cubs. And then that center, and I'm not afraid to mention that the Appalachian Bear, I used to work for the Appalachian Bear Center. They're now known as the, the rescue, Appalachian Bear Rescue. They do amazing work. And every bear that they get in with, is with the intention of returning it to the wild. That's how it should be. Because we have scientific papers, research, we put colors on them, and they survive just fine with proper rehabilitation Which and means For folks that to say
1: you can't habituate it by having pictures pay her ten bucks yes. and get a picture with a baby cub,
0: yeah, so they may be telling the truth to say they can't release their bear cubs, it's because they don't know how to rehab the animal, and so uh yeah that that's one that's one of my hot buttons and I knew I'd go off on a tangent but I I think it it's just something that needs to be talked about. So where were we?
1: <laughs> so yeah, okay. So bad rehabbers, roadside exploiters, um so yeah, I I it just kind of Made me think. Um, there's there was a Netflix docu series about one of those roadside exploiters. Um, I think it was the Tiger King, Joe Exotic, something. And I I think I think that there was an underlying goal they had to focus on the detriment of the animals. But just just in case you're curious, they totally missed the mark, and they just showed Joe Exotic, ass clown extraordinaire, and all of his life drama. So. <laughs>
0: I can you know I watch that crap because I, I I abuse myself like that. I cannot believe an intellectual extraordinaire like you actually watched that rubbish.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, so how am I supposed to criticize it if I don't force myself to experience it? But yeah, so for anybody who who hasn't, it's it's mostly his life drama and then some other ass clown who has like fifteen wives and you know works with tigers for a profit and then drama with uh, a Florida big cat sanctuary and lots of conspiracy theories running around about that. But, um, for the record, like, like rehab centers, um, sanctuaries, which a lot of people would, they confuse the, the roadside, um, the roadside establishment and sanctuaries, not the same thing. And sanctuaries, sanctuaries are like rehabbers though. They can, they can ride the fence. They can be bad. They can be good, but sanctuaries are not all bad. Um, but like, like you were saying, it's up to us. It's up to the public and potential consumers, i.e. visitors or people who support or donate, to make sure that we've done the research and validated the practices of these places way before we actually start to support them or visit them. You know, any, any accredited sanctuary always, always, always puts the animal's welfare first. You know, they're not, they're not an exotic animal version of a puppy mill. You know, the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, they, they've got a definition for sanctuary. And it's, uh, let, me, let me pull up that page because I'm going to read it to you. So sanctuary um, is a tax-exempt nonprofit entity that doesn't engage in commercial trade in big cat species, including their offspring, parts, and products made from them. Breeding big cats or allowing direct contact with them is prohibited. So, you know, anything like uh, allowing direct contact with if you can pay to have an experience where you have direct contact, that's probably a big red flag. Um, And as far as sanctuaries, there's only 14 sanctioned big cat sanctuaries in the entire U S and the only one that was featured on tiger King was not Joe exotic or the dude with 15 wives, but it's the one in Florida. Um, When I was, when I was looking at that stuff before I, I, you know, I could look by species and I actually looked and there's only seven sanctuaries um, that are, are sanctioned across the U S for bears, which was kind of weird, but, um, and, and if our listeners are interested on where I got that, that information, they should check out the, the G F A S or global federation of animal sanctuaries. Uh, and I, I can't tell you that it's the best in the world, but it's definitely likely the best that we're going to get. But um, you know, that, that kind of makes me wonder D is there a a website or an organization on, on good rehabbers?
0: huh. I'm not so sure there's an organization such as that. Now, I will tell you, rehabbers, for the most part, they are sanctioned by the individual state wildlife agencies. And I know far more about state wildlife agencies than uh, a lot of the federal agencies. And so, obviously, I worked for a state wildlife agency for a long time. And so, here's the thing when it comes to rehabbing. I I bet you, Steph, if we went out in the general public or just on a Facebook page or wherever and asked people, would you like to take care of an orphan mountain lion cub or a baby bear or even a baby bird or anything? Everybody would love to do it. They think it's so baby animals are cool as all get out. And it would be really neat uh, for people to raise them kind of like as they would a, a cat or, or a kitten or a puppy, uh, they're, they're a lot different and they need training. And so the state sanctions people that are literally certified rehabbers. So they're usually the first line of defense. You you should check out your state wildlife agency to see people who are accredited to be a licensed rehabber. Having said all that, there is a lot of people that go through that process with not the best intentions or the animal's intentions in mind. Like I said, it, it is a really cool thing to do. And if if you're not providing the care that that animal needs and you're doing it for your own self-gratification instead of for the fulfillment of that animal, I would not classify that person as a good rehabber. And so there's there's definitely different techniques. Unfortunately, there's not really... Uh, an oversight or like a grading or ranking process. I wish there was, but you know, as well as I, state and federal agencies, they're shorthanded, they're short funded. They they don't have the means to uh, validate and to check in on all these people that become rehabbers. And so I wish there was something that uh, would show a grade like that. It's definitely needed, but unfortunately it's not out there. And I loved what you said about uh People when they're when they're looking into these sanctuaries or all these other uh, places that are caring for animals, they should dig into them before supporting them. A lot of people will jump in headfirst simply because someone posts a cute picture of some critter on their website, and they they're they're immediately hooked. Again, we need the public to use their brains. We need them to use their common sense. We need them to use their their mind to to make the proper decisions that will ultimately benefit the wildlife that they love. So yeah. that was long winded, <laughs> but if no, you're, it's good. If you're good with that, um, th- what I really loved is we did get a whole slew of questions from one of our Facebook friends, uh, Daniela. She uh, she's awesome. She's uh, she's a follower of ours. And I know she's super passionate about this topic and she does whatever she can to to support bears in her areas. Um, But she asked about those shady roadside facilities and the rehabbers who literally offer those petting opportunities and questions what the states are doing. And like I said, I would I would love to say that they're right on top of it. They're making sure they're on the up and up but it's it's often difficult to to do and so we addressed that question um and like like i said that that was a that was a tough one because i wish we could do more but the bottom line is people have to use their their own common sense and and to dig into the background of of all these different uh, groups and organizations and people that that are caring for these these animal species Mm -hmm. so let's see um Daniela also asked, in in some cases, there's even more local like county or city restrictions. Uh, There's even a couple of states with animal performance laws, but it varies so much state to state. There's no uniformity to it. And the way states operate, you, you know, as well as I, that states love to have their own identity and they don't like being told what to do. So Mm -hmm. anyway, um, I'm rambling now about how frustrated I am because there's not better oversight. And I wish I had a better response for Daniela, but I'm sure Daniela does it. I'm just urging all of our listeners to really do your homework before you get behind any group organization or individual that's caring for these animals. So I haven't really poked poke you yet regarding your albino tiger breeding
1: <laughs> oh, oh, oh aren't you just kicking a <laughs> sleeping bear tonight okay yeah that's uh, my other crazy button so thanks for that payback again all right um yeah breeding albino tigers is very very high on my list of things that that drive me absolutely nuts you know for starters um breeding albino tigers is 100% about making money and has zero to do with uh, species conservation. I mean, to to get a white tiger or lion or, or any of those other, you know, specialized variations, it means inbreeding and crossbreeding to get a very specific result. And that, again, 100% about making money and 0%, nothing at all to do with conservation and awareness. And the thing that, that just chaps me about this one is inbreeding you know it it means that these animals to the extent that they've had to be bred to have so many like white tigers which are the the big you know display things these days they have so many health and and genetic issues and people just love to forget that massive inbreeding means loads of deformations but you know what do you suppose happens to all those animals who just aren't pretty enough to put on display because they've got bulging crossed eyes and twisted spines or messed up mouths um and big time mental mental deficiencies like tons um the number of tigers that have to be born to get those pretty displayable cats that they love to charge fees for is mind-blowing you know the number of, of breeding sisters with brothers moms with sons it is it is an absolutely disgusting practice that's completely driven by profits and i mean in the wild being a white tiger obviously a huge disadvantage so it should be super apparent to normal people that this is not a common trait we shouldn't have so many of these guys running around humans had to purposefully manipulate breeding to create so many of these specimens but uh it is so very very crucial again that we never ever do or say things to promote the the continued breeding of white tigers and lots of other things we we have to get those messages out um, definitely, all of this, this whole topic it 's vital that our listeners who likely love wildlife just as much as we do it 's just vital for them to to get this messaging out you know it 's so important for us to make sure that we 're never funding or promoting purposefully or accidentally anything that promotes all of these unethical activities
0: yeah ab- absolutely for sure and and you love me and my tangents, but I love how you said, we we've got to be mindful of promoting these, these activities. And I bring this up all the time on Facebook because you see these, these viral videos and pics and it shows something going on with wildlife that when you or I look at it, we, we cringe, but the the folks out there on Facebook land, they look at this they love it they share it they give it a thumbs up they give it a heart they give it something and and I'll give I'll give an example and and this this isn't even dealing with the illegal animal trade uh because I personally try to steer away from that cuz it aggravates me so much but when you see videos of of bears like coming up on porches the, there's one video that stands out in my mind it's this little tiny cub that stands up at someone's door and it's it's wobbly on its feet i will tell you it looks cute and all i'm thinking is oh my gosh that cub is not going to survive and people think it's the cutest thing like i said it it is cute but by them sharing it how many other people out there are going to be nefarious in their activities and say man I know, I know a family of bears that wander by my yard. If I could lure them up on the porch and get the cub to do something cute, I could be the next viral video. And so it's unethical activities besides the, the illegal trade doing things that put animal in harm's way. And you you hit the nail on the head where you said purposefully or accidentally, because these people just don't know any better. They think, Oh, I could be the next viral video sensation. And guess what? They're killing animals. And so it just, it just aggravates me. So anyway, it's bottom line. It's all of our responsibility to speak the truth and literally to
1: try to influence others. Uh, Agreed. And like you said, sharing it, thumbs upping it, hearting it, all of those things are condoning and yeah so it, it's an uphill battle you know me and you we fight it we fight it we get exhausted because we're fighting it all the time and it's so taxing on us and stressful um and a lot of things that that you write on the book of faces revolves around the premise of loving wildlife to death you know and this world this just rolls right into that topic because yeah we we do all have to be responsible and accountable with that
0: yeah and, and like you said that that like, that heart, that share, that is literally condoning that activity, and, and especially when it's activities that result in the animals getting killed or dying. Uh, that that's the that's the thing that frustrates you and me both. And so, uh, I, I hope this all makes sense to you, <laughs> or to, well, yeah, yeah. well, maybe not. Uh, I I know you get it. I'm hoping this makes sense to our listener. <laughs>
1: I. think I think it makes sense honestly um I was hoping listener was yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's my mom hey mom Um, (laughs) Daniela do you get it (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thanks Daniela we love you and well we can't forget Trish either though I know she listens all the time we do have yeah we have we have a a few and uh, we love them all we love all y'all um anyway so yeah I think I think that that makes sense um but now now that That my blood pressure is finally normalizing and hopefully yours is as well um i know i glanced at my my watch i do see that we're past our 30 so i will remind our listeners to follow our podcasts on your favorite podcast app uh twitter and of course check out wildlife for you.com all spelled out for more
0: (laughs) and don't forget to follow us on facebook and no i'm not even going to mention parlor (laughs) because You get on Facebook nowadays, and people are saying, "I'm going to parlor." Um, just check us out wherever you find us. Um, we do everything. The Wildlife for You is on Facebook. Um, we, we will hopefully announce our next episode. I don't think we figured it out yet, have we?
1: Nope, not even clue.
0: All right, I guess we'll roll the dice and look at our list to see what we're going to talk about. But anyway, we love to get questions from you, especially ones that we can answer uh and if you have any podcast topics or anything throw them at us we'd love to hear about them
1: oh yeah i mean it would be totally that's it's a great idea because it's so awesome if somebody actually told us what to talk about and we weren't like hey we could talk about that for probably 30 minutes because me and you we could talk about how to fold up a used tissue for 30 minutes (laughs) anyway i I,
0: I got a story about that if you
1: want (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Yeah. Anyway, with that, y'all, I will save you guys from Daryl's folded up tissue story, and with that, on behalf of Daryl and myself, we bid you farewell until next time. Good All
0: right. night. See you everyone.